In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We are now chapter 23 of 2 Samuel. And chapter 22 was mainly David's praising God and kind of reflecting on his life. Now he's going to talk about the principle that he walked by all his life, the message that God had given him specifically as a king to live by. And then we're going to talk a little bit about people who surrounded him. That's the whole chapter is more about the people that surrounded him at the end. Now these are the words of David, last words of David. Obviously, last words usually are very unique because they tend to be very genuine. It's uh, somebody's facing death. They're all their cares and all their worries, it's all aside. They're speaking the wisdom they have received all their life. And this is a tradition in the monastic life. When a monk is about to depart, the monks will gather around him and ask him, give us an advice. The last word of summarizing his life. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. David here is at the end of his life. He really sees himself in a way that God sees him. He says, thus says David, the son of Jesse. This is whose reality is. David, the one who looked after the shepherd, the, young, the youngest among his brethren, his own father neglected him. Nobody cared for him. Nobody thought he even existed. Thus says the man who is raised on high. He said, even though I am from an unknown family, and people don't even know me, but God have raised me high. He called me to become a king. For us, God called us to become his children. And God appointed me and created a covenant with me. This is how he sees his life with God. Also, when he says the man, ra the man raised on high, he could also express the spiritual state of his life toward the end of his life. That's why the Bible always says, look at the ends, look at the ends and resemble it. Because at the end of pers a person's life, if they're walking with God, they should be in a very kind of pure state. And he says, a man raised up on high. He's not raising himself up. Somebody raised him up. Somebody put him up on high. This is his definition. As a king, he does not say, David, the man who collected all Israel as a one kingdom. David, the man who defeated the Philistines 20 times. None of that stuff. The man who raised up on high the anointed of the God of Jacob. The anointed of the God of Jacob. I received the privilege of receiving the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes me unique. And then he defines himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. 
the sweet singer of Israel. Obviously, David the prophet cared so, so, so much about worship. And he organized people in the temple and he put all these psalms that we love, psalms for inauguration of kings, psalms of lament, psalms of praise, different type of psalms. Psalms when he was in trouble. He says, the things that I love the most is the days that I worship God. The things I loved the most was my time in the church. I was actually uh, praying the children liturgy yesterday and I was trying to express, explain heaven to the kids. So I asked them, what is the most amazing place you've been to? You know, so a lot of kids said Airbnb Air. Some people said Disneyland. <laughs> And then one little kid said, the church. I mean, he ruined my analogy, but how beautiful it is that the, ch the child feels the church is the most amazing place he's been to. The sweetest psalmist of Israel, the most memorable moment I have in my life is not my promotion in my career. It's that one time when I prayed with God and I was one with him. It's that one time when the grace filled my heart that I could not stop smiling from the joy that entered my heart. It's that one time when I was serving, 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 and I was so tired, but I was willing to give up my whole life for God. What David cared about the most was that he is the sweetest psalmist of Israel. He used to come and sing for God. Where praising is the nature, the nature of those who are in heaven. Complaining is the nature of those who live on earth. For David enjoys and wants to be remembered by what? But by his worship to God. By praising God. By the fact that God called him and anointed him by the fact that God raised him up high. Who is David? He's the man that God this, did this, 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 this to him. It's like, you know, in the scripture, when John the Beloved wants to introduce himself, he says, who's John? He says, John, he's the man, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. I don't want people to know my name. I want them to know what God did to me. This was the life of David the prophet. Look at here, it says, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. <clears throat> Look, David the prophet became a child of God and the scripture says, those who are children of God are led by the spirit of God. So he became led by the spirit, so the spirit starts speaking on his mouth. And sometime you might wonder, how did the Spirit speak to David the prophet? Is it through the law, the commandments? As a king, he was required to read the law. Is it through the prophets like Samuel, Nathan, Gad? Is it through personal revelation? We don't know, but in the scripture, we don't have a time where David claimed to have a personal revelation. Each time, 
he heard the word of God, it was through a prophet, it was through a priest, it was through the laws of God. They said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke inside of me, on my lips. When the Spirit of God speaks to David the prophet, what would the Spirit tell him? The Spirit tell him, good job, David, you're doing a wonderful job. No, look what the Spirit says. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. I, I, I'm sorry before I tell you this. You know, when, when David speaks about God, he doesn't just want to say, God said. You know, it's like once, he, once you just tell him God, he can't stop. He's my rock, he's my love, he's my, he's my this, he's my that. I was reading a life of one of the Western saints, and she was a nun, and she used to say whenever she passes by the chapel in her convent, she would go into the chapel and she would spend an hour with God. She cannot pass by the chapel without spending time with Him. For David, once you tell him God, he says, Oh God, yes, He's my love, He's everything. He can't just get to the point, right? He said, so what is the Spirit telling David? He says, he who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. So God came to David and told him, look, you will be a king. And if you will be a king, you must be just. God will call you one day to become a deacon, to become a priest, to become a bishop, to become a mother, to become a doctor to become a martyr, to become a confessor. And he gives you responsibility with the call. That's why the Spirit speaks clearly and he remembers this. Like he read that the commandments, he read so many things. But at the end of his life, he says, there's one thing that I remember clearly. I met um, one of the bishops, a very holy bishop. And I asked him at the beginning of my priesthood, I asked him, Sayyidina, give me a word of advice. Abuna, I live by this verse. Those who are faithful and little will rule over more. Will rule over much. And he told me in, in the diocese, this verse is all over. Every person you meet, he will have a verse that he lives by. David, here is the verse that he lives by. He who rules over men must be just Ruling in the fear of God. Just is not an arbitrary concept. It's not a social construct. It is the consequence of the fear of God. People who fear God are people who are very sensitive towards sin. And they're quick to repent. And they are sensitive to good habits, like attending liturgy and fasting. And, and if they miss one, one, of their part, one of the events or one of their habits, they feel uncomfortable. They're sensitive. They're sensitive how they pray in the church and how they revere the church. They're sensitive in obeying the commandments of God. The fear of God and the humility are extremely related. When I fear God, 
I'm aware of his presence all the time. I will know my, rela- my reality all the time. I asked a wonderful monk one day, I told him, how can somebody attain the fear of God? And he told me, Abuna, the fear of God is grace. And you must ask for it. That's why in the absolution, we say, give us your fear. Lead us in your fear. Why is the fear of God critical? Because justice, people can look at different outcomes and say, well, this is more just than this. And people can come up with their own subjective opinions. But when I live in the fear of God, there's no more biases inside my heart. I'm looking exactly at what the command says. The leader of the kingdom, look here in verse 4, and he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. So he's telling him the leader of the country must be somebody who's full of light, shining. He comes in and people see him or see her and they, they see the difference. There's this very famous story about Abuna Mikhail Ibrahim. One time the servants were having a servants meeting in the church and they were talking and joking and all that stuff in the church. And once Abuna walked into the church, they all were silent because of how much he revered the church. And then Abuna stood and prayed and told God, I am sorry because they respect me more than you. The leader must be shining. And actually, I'll tell you guys something interesting. I was reading, um, I was reading about child psychology recently. And the author I was reading to, she was saying that um, moms and dads in the homes, when they're raising little babies, because the child, when they're really young, until eight years old or six years old, that's the most critical period in their life. So he said it's, not, it's important for the child to feel that the home is an attractive place. They love to be in the house. See, the author was encouraging the parents at home to like dress nicely, to be smiley, to be like clean. So the child always feels it's a beautiful place. Same thing here. The leader, the leader of the church, the leader of the house, the leader of, where, of whatever responsibility God has given us has to be like a morning when the sun rises. Morning without clouds, so clear, like the tender grass springing up, springing out on earth. This, in, in Israel, there was these little dry kida, uh, plants that once the sun comes, they become dry, but once you add some more water on it, a few hours, it blossoms. This is how the leader should look like. The leader should be somebody who's consistent, who's known, who's shining. Although my house is, is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? So David the prophet says, Yes, in my own house, there was a lot of issues. 
There's a lot of problems, there's a lot of war. Not every person kind of kept the life of David. As we go on, the kingdom was divided and people went to exile and, and nobody knows even who's from the lineage of David anymore. But he said, there's a covenant that God has made with me. And he's talking clearly about our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who's coming from the root of Jesse, root of David. This is, by the way, astonishing. Because David, the prophet, he speaks by the Spirit, and he said, how can, how can, how can he have such a clear picture? He's saying, my house does not have that relationship with God. So that kingdom that people are expecting to last for one, from one kingdom to another, no, it's not. He made a covenant with me. Why did he make that covenant for me? For this is my salvation and all my desire. All my desire. All my desire. What did David desire? It's for the Messiah to come. It's for the covenant of God to be accomplished. I, I mentioned this before, but when you look a lot at the Old Testament, it really kind of touches my heart how much people were so oriented toward the salvation of the group, not the salvation of the individual. Always his desire for the Messiah to come to save all of Israel, all of the church, all of my friends, not only me, not only me. I don't want to be, I don't want to be like the one holy saint in the church and everybody else is bad. That's not the mentality of the church. That's not. All. We want all to be holy. My whole of heart desire to be holy. But the sons of rebellion, for us it's the devil, shall be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands, but the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. There were some sort of like um, type of thorns that grow, and like they, they are going in every direction, so if you touch it, you're going to hurt yourself. So you have to you have a tool to cut it out from its root and burn it. So he's talking here about the people who opposes the kingdom of heaven, opposes the covenant of God. And he says, they shall be uprooted and burned and destroyed. This is the kingdom of the devil. So this is, by the way, the rule that David felt lived by. I have to be a king who is just, who lives in the fear of God. I have to be shining. I have to be light to the people around me because God has made a covenant with me. It's so beautiful. There's so much secrets and mystery and beauty in it. He feels like God made a covenant with me specially. Okay? Now the rest of the chapter, we talk about what we call David's mighty men. Okay? David had some of the best soldiers in the world. Navy seals around him. That's what he had. Okay? And the Bible will talk about them quickly. 
But this, the area we're going to read, the passage we're going to read, it's so full of beautiful examples that we're going to go through them a bit quickly. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Jash, Baspash, the Tomanit, chief among the captains. He was called Adinu, the Izanite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. So David, as he grew with God, and David became a strong warrior, he trained a lot of warriors around him. Second hour spiritual life, when somebody grows with God, there's always an area that flourishes. For example, the strongest time in the church history was the third century. Monastic life. Saint Anthony, Saint Bachomius, Saint Macarius, Saint Maximus, Saint Timotheus, Saint Moses, Saint Israel, all at the same time. All, all, all. Why? They're all together, drinking from the same fountain, living the same lifestyle. So he said, this is the man who killed 800 men at one time. Look, what the Bible is doing here, he's listing the accomplishments of the victories of the mighty men of David. And you know, it's almost like when you're struggling against sin, and you get up, you fall and you get up, you fall and you get up. And then one time the devil fights you and you overcome him without falling. He fights you again and he say, no, I will not fall. And an angel is recording. He comes to heaven and the angel says, thousand times you defeated the devil. He sees him as a hero because he was able to defeat 800 people at one time. So this was a big man here. After him was Elizar, the son of Dudu, and Ahuhite, one of the three mighty men, with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistine until his hand was weary, and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. This is another person, Eleazar. What did Eleazar do? They went to fight the Philistines, and the people started to be scared. What did he do? He fought alone almost. So determined, so strong, so responsible, to the point that the sword stuck into his, head, his hand. You know, some of... Um, some of the monastic life, they consider the monks are the warriors for us. The warriors of the church. And they are constantly fighting on behalf of the church. Constantly holding the sword. People are retreating, people are scared, people are worried. Somebody is holding on. Holding on. Strong. He's not looking backwards. He's not afraid. He's not, no, no problem. And for us, the scripture says, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is what? The word of God. <coughs> so here, 
We see one of the mighty men of David, he goes to the battle, he doesn't care what people do. I'm going to fight until the end, until the last breath of my life. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of a ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Look at this other. These are the people that David has around him. You know, when you ask your friends, who are the friends around me? This guy says, one eight eight hundred. The other one, the sword stuck to his hands until he killed everybody. This other guy, the whole army retreated and he stood by himself and defended the field. Faithfulness. He has men with him. Strong fighters. Strong friends who can fight and can pray for you when you're fallen. They can fast on your behalf. The other day we had one of our beloved bishops and he was, we were asking him about monastic life and he said, I, I have offered monastic life, my own monastic life, on behalf of the whole world. On behalf of the whole church. This guy does not go back and complain and be like, where is everybody? Why did everybody run away? Why are people not fighting? And complain and argue and fight and fights by himself. And by the way, because God looked at him, that one person who stood strong, says, and the Lord brought about great victory. There's a lot of power in peer pressure. But God is looking for one soul, one soul that could stand and say the truth. One soul that could move the hearts of people. Who is going to fight to the end? Who is going to say, even if everybody retreated, even if the whole world was against me, I will not I will not retreat. I will not change. Look at this wonderful story. Then three of the thirty chief men went down at the harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rapham. And David was in a stronghold. And the grassroom of Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with his longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, For it be from me, O Lord, that I should do this. It is not the blood of the men who went in a uh, jeopardy of their lives therefore he would not drink it these things were done by three mighty men let me just tell you what's happening with the mighty men David has three big soldiers big guys they are the three the three mighty men under them there are another three under each one there are 30 okay that's how the army works this is an interesting story the Philistines came and attacked David. David at the end of his life. 
the Philistines continued to attack him, attack David. David ran away. He's now even not in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where his capital is. This is where his house of David is. So he was hiding in a stronghold, and he said, wow, I would like to drink from the water of Bethlehem. Obviously, David was not thirsty, okay? Because in a stronghold, and he has an army, they must have water, other, all of them will die. But what David was looking for, David, part of him was struggling. God, are you still with me or not? I'm at my old age, I'm still running away, I'm escaping, my enemy is in my own capital. Last chapter, he was praising God. But now, he's faced with another problem. She so says, I want to drink of this water. It's almost, I would love to know if you're with me or not. I would love to know if you still want me to be a king or not. If you want me to be back home or not. Back to worship you or not. So what happened was, Three of his mighty men. What did the three of the mighty men do? By the way, they were not like reckless kids saying, let's take the car and drive 120 miles and go. No, no, no. These are the people who lived with David. They have seen the work of God. They know his struggle. And there are people who know that their obedience to their king have always brought victory. They said the only thing we can offer is obedience. So the Bethlehem and the well were on the top of a hill. So those three mighty men went up with the Philistines' army. <laughs> they went up to Bethlehem. Let's say they snuck in, okay? They got the water. And you can imagine one person holding the water and two people fighting a whole army. Because we know there was some bloodshed because David said, I cannot drink because there's bloodshed. And they came back and brought him the water. A couple of things I want to point out here. The scripture does not highlight the heroic fights and details of these mighty men. Because it's not about their heroic war and fighting. Every heroic act in the scripture is to point us to the spiritual victory and the true hero in our life is our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to point at an intimacy with war and fight, not at all. But the other thing is when those mighty men brought in the water, David felt that God is with me. And what did David do when he got the water? He took it and what did he do? He poured it out. You can imagine those three mighty men. You did what? You took the water that we, we sacrificed our life to pour it? No. But where did David pour it out? He poured it in front of the Lord. What did David do? David turned this into worship. He took the obedience of his mighty men and their sacrifice and their love and told God, God, here is the offering of these children. I cannot drink it. I cannot 
take that this is too much this is a sacrifice for God himself God has spoken and he said my grace is with you and he took that water and have offered it to God it's very important when you look at these mighty men if David the prophet the Bible calls him the beloved David means the one who's beloved represents our Lord these mighty men represents us their obedience to the commands and the desire of David is what brought victory sometime God might not ask but you know the desire of his heart you know in the in Isaiah 6 when the Lord said who shall I send and Isaiah was standing and said send me send me I will go because he knows the desire of the heart of God he knows the desire of the heart of God each one of us should have mighty men around them people who are prayer warriors people who are sharing always the word of God waking our conscience up pushing us closer to God fighting with us the enemy we do not want to be alone now Abishai the brother of Joab the son of Zariah was the chief of another three <coughs> he lifted his spear against three hundred men killed them and won a name among these three another one was he not the most honored of three therefore he became their captain however he did not attain the first three the scripture here is focusing so much on ranking the mighty men of David they're not all equal they're not all equal and that's important to keep in mind I might say well I fall in sin and I get up and I fall in sin and I fight the sin and I get lazy sometime does God forgive me of course he forgives you Am I going to go to heaven? Yes, God willing, you go to heaven. But you're not going to be the greatest among the mighty men. The mighty men are those who hold the sword until their hand sticks to it. The ones who sees everybody's retreating and stand strong. That's the mighty men. People who are worshipping God and remember his name all the time. And I cannot even claim that I can request a grace like this and I cannot be a fighter like those men. That's why not everyone is equal in the reward. Those who love God more receive more. Love Him by action, love Him by word, love Him by mind, by power receive more he defeated 300 people but he still was not in the top three second three and then Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of the valiant men 
from Kabizal, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit in a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. By the way, this is not the top three. This is the second three. One of the second three, what did he do? Killed the lion in a snowy day in a pit. Can you imagine? It's like the second three, one who faced the devil face to face in an area. The environment itself does not help you to win, but he defeated him. And he killed an Egyptian. It was a humongous Egyptian. He killed him. The Egyptian came with a spear. He had a staff. You know, this person reminds, reminds us of who? David the prophet. This is an example of somebody who's a good disciple. David defeated a lion and a bear at the beginning of his life. He also defeated Goliath. So this is a man who seemed to be was very well discipled to David, whether personally or from far. Whether close to him or far away from him, he started learning more about him. And these things Benaiah, the son of Jehudiah, did and won the name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty. So this is, he's not one of the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Can you imagine? He killed two lions. He killed, two, he killed the Egyptian guy. He killed a lion. In him, but he was not even the top three. Second three. But then David, because by the way, this is the, the man who resembled David in his life. Discipled by David. He said, and he appointed him over his guard. Who is the guard of David? They're usually the ones that know the secrets of David. Like St. John the Beloved was considered to be one of the closest to our Lord Jesus Christ. One time St. Peter wanted to ask a question, for he went to St. John and told him, can you ask? Can you ask the question? And that's why the whole book of Revelation was given to St. John. He was one of the special guards. There are people in the scripture that we consider them the guards of God, like Moses God revealed to him so many things. He would go up in the mountain, spend 40 days, and come back shining. And one time he was taking up in the clouds, and wow! He's one of the guards. Abraham. God comes and tells him, I'm about to destroy Satan and Gomorrah. What do you think? And I want to make you a great nation, and I want to do this. And Wow! Enoch. The Bible says he was not, because he became with God. That simple. She's taken up like that. The Psalms, Psalm 25, 14 says, The secrets of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. Remember, David said what? God spoke to me and said, We must be a just ruler and fear God. Who is the secret of God revealed to? Is the ones who fear God. Yeah, the ones who fear God. Some people come to church or they grow with God a bit and they feel they have the right to a higher spiritual state. But most of the saints actually, when they receive grace from God, 
and maybe the grace of the grace of healing and miracle and stuff some of them say God please don't give me that responsibility don't give it to me the struggle will be so hard for me for the people who are the guards and the ones who keep the secret of God are those who fear him not those who are entitled or who want to win or use the spirituality in an own selfish way. We're going to go through some of the names from 24 to 35 quickly. It says, Asal, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Elihan, the son of Dudu of Bethlehem. Shammah, the Herodite. Elikah, the Herodite. Hilaz, the Petalite. Ira, the son of Ikash, the Tekite. Abizar, the Anathotite. Meban, the Hashatite, Zalman, the Ahotite, Maharai, the Napathite. All these are names of people coming from different places. It's almost like this, the, the book says, from all nations, from all groups. Halab, the son of Bana, the Nabite, Itai, the son of Rabbi, from Geba, of the children of Benjamin, Benai, a Parathonite, Hedai from, from the brooks of Gash, Abilan, the, Arab, the Arabathite, Asmav, the Bahuramite, Elihab, Elihab, the Shabulonite, the son of Jashan, Jonathan, Shamad, the Hurite, Aham, the son of Shara, the Hurite, all of them. The scripture, just like the scripture, wrote down the names of the disciples a couple of times. They wrote down in, in Luke, they wrote down in the book of Acts, because we might not know so much about their life, but the Bible knows them. They were the mighty men. They were the ones who fought great wars and succeeded. People might highlight David the prophet, but each person in their own responsibility, there's certain expectations, their own talents. Maybe David had five talents and God expected five back from him. Maybe these people had three or one, and God expected three or one. And then Eliphite, the son of Abishai, the son of Michaelite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Galonites, Hazari, the Carmelite, Perai, the Arbite. And then he talks about uh, Egal, the son of Nathan, of Zabaha, Bani, the, the Gadalite, Zilak, the Ammonite, Nahrai, the, the Behurite, the arm bearer of Joab, the son of Zerai. Be careful. Joab was the head of all the army. We don't see him mentioned in the name, in the names of the mighty men of David. Joab was one who committed a lot of sins against David the prophet. He was disobedient to him. The arm bearer of Joab made it to be one of the mighty men. But Joab himself is not on the list. Can you imagine? The top guy, the head of the army, is not on the list. The arm bearer was on the list. And then Era the Ethelite, Garab the Ethelite, and look, and Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. So who's one of the mighty men? 
Uriah the Hittite. Who's Uriah the Hittite? The one that David planned his murder because he wanted to take his wife Bathsheba. David killed one of his mighty men. Killed one of his mighty men. But the beautiful of the scripture is Uriah was already dead. Toward the end of David's life. But the scripture still mentions him. The mighty men are irreplaceable. They made it to the book of life. Davin, you know what it looks like? If you remember in the scripture, when Judas committed suicide and betrayed our Lord, the disciples said, we need somebody to replace him. And they casted Lot and they found somebody to replace him. But now, anytime another disciple dies, they don't replace them because their priesthood is everlasting. Judah was the only one that his priesthood was not everlasting. So they needed somebody to replace him. Even though Uriah died, he's still considered to be one of the mighty men who fought wars and the scripture elevated him to a man close to the king himself. Seems like the scripture then says there are 37 in all. 37 in all. You know, like, it seems like they're a tight number. A clear number, they're known. We are the 37. They walk around. The heroes walking around. They walk around everywhere. And what makes them hero is because they were obedient to David the prophet. They're ones who were willing to sacrifice everything they had to obey the commandments. Everything. So disciplined, so self-controlled, so strong, so heroic. Hopefully, all of us can go on with our life with mighty men around us to bring us closer to the kingdom and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.